Hi, I'm John Visklosky, and this is Not So True Crime. On today's Origins episode, we're going to be breaking down our latest show, a story called Binary. We'll talk about the inspiration behind the story, as well as the process of writing it. Because this was a complicated story with a couple of different plot threads, I ended up spending an inordinate amount of time trying to pare back and edit this show. And even after the story was written and recorded, and I was beginning to edit and mix the final episode, I eventually cut out a lot of material, around 15 minutes, which is almost half the length of our very first episode. Sometimes, in order to keep a story moving, to maintain a sense of narrative tension, you have to cut the scenes that are most important to you, maybe even the scenes that were the hardest to write. And that's mainly because there's a difference between good writing and good storytelling. And while it may be nice to occasionally write well, it's no substitute for just telling a good, clear story. With that in mind, this is the Origins episode for our latest story, Binary. Binary was really fun for me to write, mainly because it was just so different from any of our previous episodes. Given that all of our earlier shows have really been straightforward crime stories, I was really looking forward to the opportunity to write something that was based more in the realm of purely science fiction. I'm personally a very big sci-fi fan, but my interest in that genre is also very specific. I'm not really a fan of the big space operas where half the characters are some weird aliens and the story makes liberal use of technology that's so implausible and outlandish that it's basically just a different form of magic. My favorite science fiction writers are the ones who come at the genre from a perspective that is distinctly human. They keep the technology semi-believable, and they place their characters in a world that's, if not realistic, at least recognizable. I really, really like writers like uh, Ted Chang, who wrote the story on which the movie Arrival was based. Even though some of his stories contain elements that are certainly fantastical, his characters are always recognizably human. They're flawed and messed up and sympathetic, and they're just trying to navigate these crazy scenarios in the same way that most of us probably would. It's the same reason I like writers like Margaret Atwood, a really wonderful Canadian novelist who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, and who's really adept at delivering incisive social commentary that's also entertaining using the prism of science fiction. For me, you can't let the world of the story overwhelm the emotion, overwhelm the characters. Your story is, or should be, your characters. It's not the place or the time they inhabit. So for me, Binary was kind of my way of channeling my inner Margaret Atwood, such as she is, to tackle a topic that has long fascinated me, which is internet pornography. Porn isn't something that most of us spend a whole lot of time talking about, which is really pretty 
understandable. It involves human sexuality, desires, sexual fetishes, and kinks. It's not something that most of us want to bring out into the open. But the problem is, porn makes up such a big part of the internet, which has itself become such a guiding light within our larger culture, that it's really come to occupy this huge space within our society. But it's really just this humongous black hole, this thing with this really powerful gravitational pull that no one ever really talks about. We all just sort of silently agree to pretend like it doesn't exist. So that, to me, as a writer and a storyteller, is immediately and inherently fascinating. This huge, massive part of our lives that no one ever really talks about directly. And look, I won't act like I'm one of those weird, boundaryless people who loves to discuss his sexuality openly. I'm just as embarrassed as the next person about discussing my own desires and preferences. But I also, in a weird, masochistic sort of way, like writing about things that make me a little bit uncomfortable. To me, that sense of discomfort just means that whatever you're working on is probably worth the effort. Beyond the mere fact of pornography being this inherently fascinating topic, the other inspiration for this story came from a pair of television shows. The first is Westworld on HBO, which has produced some of the best hours of television that I've seen in the last few years. And one of the things they explore really well on that show is the morality of artificial consciousness. Is there an obligation to act kindly and ethically toward computers or humanoid robots that we've created, or are they owed all the respect and deference of a consumer product, like a toaster? In Westworld, as in Binary, the trend is clearly towards empathy. I don't think anyone ever got in trouble for being too kind or too compassionate. And as far as I can tell, the creators and writers of Westworld seem to agree. Same for the show Black Mirror, which was the other major inspiration behind this particular story. Again, like Westworld, that show has its ups and downs, but when they are on, they are making some of the best science fiction out there in any medium. I just love the way they can pick out a piece of theoretical technology and spin it out to create a compelling humanist story. Now, the problems in Black Mirror are never with the technology itself. The problems always lie with the people who use it. These things aren't bad because that's how we made them. They're bad because of what we've chosen to do with them. And that was the point I wanted to reinforce in binary when it comes down to the topics of the internet and pornography. I don't think porn itself is inherently a bad thing. There are a lot of people out there who get a lot of enjoyment from it, and it forms an important working part in a large number of healthy, functioning sexual relationships. I think the problem is that the vast majority of porn is made by men, which means the audience it ends up catering to is also pretty exclusively male. Now, if you're selling a product exclusively to one type of person, 
that's the person you're going to focus on, to the exclusion and detriment of all others. And I think that's probably what happens with the vast majority of porn. So what you end up with is a lot of content that not only ignores the desires of women, but which actually ends up portraying them in a way that's pretty unhealthy, in a way that sets up all sorts of false expectations, a way that really harms our perceptions of sex. You get women who have no sense of agency, no measure of individual power. Women whose only apparent desire is to please the men with whom they're having sex. Whether we like to admit it or not, porn has shifted our collective expectations. You know, in porn, every woman orgasms early and often. Everybody is down to do pretty much anything, even things that are just flat out painful if you try them in real life. I was reading an article recently in The Atlantic called The Sex Recession, and it featured all of these interviews with women who had recently had sexual encounters with male partners, who had either attempted unlubricated anal sex without asking first to see if, you know, that was something she might actually be into, which, spoiler alert, there's like a 99% chance she's not, or partners who tried to choke them during intercourse, which, look, that's not only unsexy, it's incredibly dangerous, especially if your partner has no idea that you are going to try to choke them. So ultimately, binary came from a combination of all these different sources that had just been churning around in my head. My interest in pornography and the effect it's had on dating and the larger culture, and then the sci-fi sort of techno-horror aspects of shows like Black Mirror and Westworld. Typically, when I sit down to write something, the whole story is planned out before I even type the first word, either in the form of a written outline or just in my head. But with Binary, this was really one of those rare instances where I knew how I wanted it to begin, I knew the first scene, and I knew the end, but everything in between was still more or less up in the air. And I think that was why it took so long to write a draft and pare it down to a final cut. I really had to find the story as I was writing it. Not something I would really recommend. It makes everything so, so much harder. Unfortunately, sometimes if you're having trouble coming up with a story, the only thing you can do is just sit down and see what comes out understanding that you're going to have to spend more time rewriting and editing subsequent drafts. When I started out, I really only intended to write a five to 7,000 word story. But by the time I finished a couple weeks later, I had a first draft that was more than 18,000 words. And that's because, as I started writing, these two parallel storylines began to develop. On the one hand, you had the story that was set in the real, physical world, where the main character, Owen, is romancing a girl at work, Nira. So, on that side, you have to build the entire arc of their relationship. And then, at the same time, you have this whole other story, which is Owen's interactions with Lily and the simulated world in which she exists. 
And as those two storylines began to take shape, I realized that, purely through happy accident, the title of the story, Binary, had become even more apt. It's not only the name of the company that created the Lily Sim, or a language of coding that uses ones and zeros, but in a more implicit way, it refers to these dual storylines, one set in the real world and one in a world that's purely digital. I think the hardest part for me was balancing out those two stories. You have to show how they interact with each other, how one influences the other, without one ever taking precedence, or the listener losing sight of what's happening. My worst fear when I was editing this episode was that I would spend so long in one half of the story that by the time we got back to the other half, the listener would have completely forgotten what was even going on. Which is, I think, why I ended up cutting so much out. When you're going back and forth like that, cutting between two different narratives, it's even more important than normal to trim out anything that's useless or extraneous. It certainly would have been easier to tackle only one of these plot lines by itself, but that would have only been half the story. For me, the two storylines are intertwined. You have to see how Owen behaves in one to appreciate what he does in the other. In the Lily storyline, it was important for me to show that this was not someone who started out as a bad person. This was really just a lonely, awkward guy who hadn't been in a relationship for a while and was just a little bit desperate to connect with something, as I think we've all been at some point in our lives. And that's why he starts using the Lily Sim, to form that sense of connection, that sense of belonging. But the problem with that kind of simulated attachment is that it's not real. It's just this fictional kind of relationship set in a world in which only one person, Owen, exercises complete and utter control. The thing about a real relationship, and the thing you don't often see in porn, is it's a sharing of responsibilities, a sharing of authority, where each person has an equal sense of control and you both share that burden. But that's not at all what Owen has with Lily. It's literally a situation where he can, at any point, do anything he wants. He can change his appearance, uh, he can change hers, he can alter the setting, he can make himself stronger. And that's not a good touchstone for a real relationship. That's because if you have a situation where one person exercises complete unequivocal control, where they're basically a god and can do whatever the hell they want, sooner or later the history of humanity has shown they will abuse that authority and it will just get worse and worse. And that's what I wanted to show as part of the Lily storyline, this snowballing sense of violence and persecution where Owen's behavior is getting progressively worse. And even though he himself is sort of blind to it, it's really that ignorance of his own lack of morality that allows it to erode further and further. 
I also wanted to use this storyline to show that thing that happens with porn where you become so desensitized to it that you end up seeking out content that is more and more extreme just so you can become aroused, which is a zero-sum game. It's a phenomenon that's really summed up well by Chris Rock in his latest stand-up special, Tambourine, where he talks about his porn addiction with pretty brutal honesty. And one of the points he makes in the course of that special is that when you start watching porn, any porn will do the trick. You just need a couple of naked people getting together and doing their thing. But the more you watch, the more you consume, the more you need to become aroused and the more disturbing the content becomes. When I started out writing Binary, I did a tiny bit of research about pornography in terms of what was most popular. I didn't do too much because it can get really gross really fast. It's just this horrifying rabbit hole. But every one of the bad scenarios involving Lily in the story comes from a real type of porn. These are not things that I just made up. There are a ton of videos in which people break into houses and force women to have sex, or where people fantasize about raping people who are too drunk to know what's going on, or where employers blackmail female employees into having sex with them at the office. And because these are types of porn, because they're not actually real, a lot of people don't seem to have a problem with consuming them. But I think that's one of the ways that the genre of sci-fi really helps tell this story. Because I think as long as you're looking at something that actors are portraying on a screen, it's a lot easier to distance yourself from that portrayal. At that point, it's just something that you're watching with actors who are playing out a specific scenario. But if you actually have the potential to enter a fully realized digital simulation and act out these scenarios yourself, it completely erases that sense of distance, that sense of remove from the situation. And it really lays bare the fact that, wow, this is a really gross thing to be depicting. Throughout the story, we see Owen arguing that there's nothing wrong with what he's doing, simply because it's not real, it's just a simulation. But that argument completely misses the point. It doesn't matter whether or not it's real, it's the depiction of the behavior itself that matters. If you go into a digital world, be it a futuristic simulation or the internet, and you are constantly bombarded with images and depictions of all these women getting abused and raped, purposefully or not, it's going to seep into your consciousness and affect your perception of what's acceptable. It's going to desensitize you to behavior that is not only amoral, but in a lot of cases, criminal. So then, if you're at a party someday with someone who is too drunk to consent, is what you've absorbed in that digital world going to affect your calculus of what to do next? I would argue that, yeah, it probably will. And it's certainly not going to change your behavior for the better. So that was all the stuff I wanted to show using the Lily half of the story. 
And then with the near a half, you're seeing some of the real-world consequences of Owen's porn obsession. Now, I did something in this half of the story that normally I would never do, and that was to write a main character who is extremely passive. Usually, you want your main character to be active. You want that character to be driving the story. You don't want the story to be something that just happens to them. But in this case, it was really crucial that Owen be this passive, detached person. And that was all to show the effects of the Lily Sim on his personality. If you're constantly retreating to a digital fantasy world and using it for sexual and emotional gratification, then you're going to pull back from your real life. You're going to kind of disengage. You're going to stop seeking human connection and emotional fulfillment because in your mind, you're already getting it. So making him this more passive person who Nira has to aggressively pursue was a way of showing that sense of detachment that his use of the Lily Sim was causing. I'm sure there will be some people out there who think that Owen doesn't deserve what happens to him in the end of the story, or that the punishment he ends up suffering is somehow out of proportion with what he's done. But that wasn't the point of the ending. The point of the story was ultimately to show, okay, Owen thinks there's nothing wrong with this conduct because it's all just simulated. But if that conduct were to suddenly be flipped and turned back around on him, would he then have a problem with it? And to me, the answer is unquestionably yes. I think if all of us were forced to endure the things that we've seen simulated in porn, nobody would ever watch porn again. Or, you know, People would only watch porn with consenting partners where both people have needs that are met equally. Beyond the details of the story, when I was recording and mixing the actual episode, I ended up having a lot of fun with the character of Lily, especially in that final scene where she's been reprogrammed. In that moment, I wanted to make her sound a little more robotic, so she has this really clipped way of speaking where she enunciates all of her words very clearly. Her vocabulary is also very different from any of the other characters in the story. She uses a lot of bigger words and speaks in a way that's very detached and very formal. I didn't want her to sound like an actual person, I wanted her to sound more like a computer tutorial. So, in the beginning, when she's still part of these porn programs, you have her speaking in a normal speaking voice, spouting this really stupid, cheesy porn dialogue. And then by the end, when she's been reprogrammed, she's much colder and more robotic. I even went in while I was editing and clipped out the ends of some of her words which made it sound a little more artificial, sort of like she was the voice from your mapping program. By that final scene, she's really just this implacable force that can't be reasoned with and can't be deterred. No matter what Owen does, no matter how hard he tries, she is just going to keep coming for him. She is the shark from Jaws. She is the Terminator. There is no outlet, no escape from what she is going to do to him. 
all around, Lily was just a really, really fun character. She was fun to write. She was fun to voice. I tried to put a lot of thought into her, right down to how I picked her name. That name, Lily, itself is kind of this weird little kid name. And that was partly to make the point about how a lot of porn fetishizes underage girls. But then the name is also this sequence of Roman numerals repeated, L-I-L-I, which was just a fun little way of acknowledging that, like Lily herself, even her name is made up of numbers. It's just a piece of code. As I started editing this story, I did something that, for me, was kind of unusual. I ended up cutting out large parts that I'd already recorded. Typically, I do most of my cutting during the actual writing of the story, and 99% of the words that are on the page end up in the final episode. But this time, I ended up taking out a lot of the final story, in some cases, entire scenes. And that's because I forgot what is probably my own most important rule of writing, which is not to worry about writing well, but to just worry about telling a good story. Now, this is a lesson I didn't come up with. I stole it from one of the greatest science fiction writers of all time, Isaac Asimov. I was reading the author's note of one of his books, a novel called Nemesis, and he said something in it that I thought was really interesting. He said that as he'd gotten further along into his career, he'd stopped trying to write well or write poetically, and instead just started to write clearly. And for whatever reason, that really stuck with me. I mean, immediately, as soon as I read it, I realized that I wanted to do the same thing. To me, that statement doesn't mean that I should stop trying to write the best sentences that I can write. It just means that I shouldn't let the goal of writing something that sounds pretty overwhelm the larger duty of writing a story that is clear and entertaining. For me, Binary was a great example of how you should never take for granted the things you think you've already learned. Even when you think that you have fully absorbed something to the point where you've made it a part of your DNA, it's never a bad idea to go back and remind yourself of these lessons. As I was listening to the episode and cutting the whole thing together, I really noticed a lot of spots where my desire to write well was overpowering my focus on telling a good, clear story. And the best example of that was the scene where Camila Reyes debates a binary spokesperson on television. As originally written, that scene was about 2,000 words long, which is a short story in and of itself. It ended up being that long because I was using it as my opportunity to lay out all my larger thoughts about porn using these two characters as my mouthpiece. And when I went back and listened to it, I realized that it was just fucking awful. Just an absolutely shit scene, to the point where it made me question what I'd even been thinking when I wrote it. It was boring and wordy and really preachy, and it was just this weird tangent that completely removed you from the actual story, which was the triangle between Owen, Nira, and Lily. And I tried to make it work because I knew I had to introduce Reyes and her organization as characters. 
I edited it a dozen different ways. I pared it down, I switched it around and moved it to a different section of the story. And after I had wasted about a week trying to cram it in there, I realized that I just had to scrap it and start over completely. I ended up writing a scene that was much shorter and a little more natural sounding, and which fit better within the overall narrative. And that was kind of a painful decision for me. This was something that had taken me three days to write originally, and a couple more days to edit. And for as little as it fit in with the larger story, I still really liked the writing in that first version of that scene. It was one of the best things I wrote for the whole story, and it didn't even end up making it into the final cut. But that's because it was separate and apart from the rest of Binary. It was just this nice little piece of writing that had no business being in the story I was trying to tell. It can be hard to cut things out, especially things that were difficult to write. But at the end of the day, you have to be ruthless. You have to ask yourself with every scene, with every word, is this helping to tell this story? Is this piece of writing making my story clearer or just longer? It's good if you can write well, but it's better if you can write clearly. So that's it for this Origins episode of Not So True Crime. If you like the show and want to help other people find it, you can leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. The more we get of both, the more people can listen to this show. You can also email us at notsotruecrime at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at notsotruecrimeandjvisklosky. We'll be back soon with another original story. Until then, I'm John Visklosky. Thanks for listening.